I think it's really important to remind young artists and entrepreneurs, people who are just starting to go into this, especially to do it full-time or professionally, like, it's not always amazing. Sometimes it just work. Hey, hey, Brian Miller here, and welcome back to One New Person, the show where we take a closer look at chance encounters to remind ourselves that every interaction is meaningful and every person we meet is important. This is the final episode of 2019, and if you're listening to it on the day it's released, it's actually New Year's Eve today. This is a little bit different in that it's not only a solo episode, but this is audio that's been ripped from a video I'm uploading to my YouTube channel, which, if you're, again, listening on the day it's released, will be going out at 9 a.m. on youtube.com slash Magic. The video is a comprehensive decade in review, but I thought the audio was compelling enough to stand on its own here on the podcast. Having said that, it was originally intended to be a YouTube video, which means if you watch the video version, you'll see dozens of photos, clips, and promotional materials that I've dug up from my archives over the past 10 years of my career, and even some bonus stuff all the way back to when I was 16 or 17, just getting my start in entertainment as a magician. So the video is definitely worth checking out, and you'll see that if you go to onenewperson.com, go to the show notes for this episode, and click the appropriate link. The goal of this piece was to really consider what can be accomplished over the span of 10 years. To paraphrase Bill Gates, we tend to overestimate what we can do in a year, but underestimate what we can do in a decade. I hope this really encourages you to take a close look at what you've done in the previous 10 years and where you might want to go in the new decade before we ring in the new year or even if you're listening to this just after we ring it in to really get serious and honest with yourself about what you think you can accomplish and what you can actually accomplish. As it turns out, my story is a perfect case study for what can be accomplished with a little bit of talent, a lot of hard work, a whole heaping of persistence, and just a touch of luck along the way. Having said that, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoy this, and Happy New Year. Well, it's that time of year again. 2019 is coming to a close, but it's not just the end of a year. It's the end of a decade, and I'm sure you've been seeing, like I have, kind of decade-in reviews all over social media, and normally I'm not one for caring about arbitrary timelines. Like, I've never really cared much about what I accomplished between January 1st and December 31st of any given year. I'm much more interested in my trajectory. Is my career or my personal life heading in the direction that I want it to be, regardless of where I'm actually at on December 31st of that year. But it was almost impossible to avoid being curious about where my career and my personal life have gone in the previous decade. When I looked back, I realized in January of 2010, entering this decade that we're about to close out, I was also entering my final semester as a college senior. It was my last semester in college, months away from making the leap from being a full-time student to trying to make a living as a full-time magician. So with that in mind, I thought it would be really helpful or at the very least interesting to talk us through the most significant moment in my career from each year, 2010 to the present 
day. And when I say significant, I mean many of these will be positive accomplishments, but occasionally the most significant moment in a year was actually something that, at least at the time, felt really bad, a failure of some kind. Because as we all know from that meme of the iceberg uh, sticking up out of the out of the you know out of the water, we only ever see people's success at the peak, but we almost never see the failure, the years of trying, the devastating moments, the resilience that lead up to that moment when you get to poke your head out of the water and breathe in that fresh air that is success, whatever success means to you. I'm becoming increasingly aware of the just perfectly curated news feeds we're seeing all over social media. You do it, I do it, and we kind of forget when we look at other people that they're doing it as well. In this video, we're gonna talk you through one year at a time, the most significant moment of my professional life. And I'll toss in some of the, you know, personal things going on behind the scenes at the same time, because of course those are just as important, if not more so, how we are personally always affects and impacts who we are professionally. 2010. All right, so starting back in 2010, as I already mentioned, I was a final semester senior in college. I was getting my dual bachelors of science in mathematics and philosophy. I had a 4.0 in philosophy and like a 3.9 in math. Damn those two semesters in abstract algebra. And at that time, I was all set to go to grad school to start working on my PhD in philosophy, thinking I would be a, a college professor someday. Kind of, that's the path that had been laid out for me my whole life. Most of my family, including my parents, are either academics or scientists. And that was just, that was just what you do if you're a Miller. But at the last hour, I decided, no, I actually wanted to try to make a living as a magician. So I had to make that really rough phone call home to mom and dad and tell them I had turned down PhD offers because I wanted to do card tricks for a living. But I did. So that, that decision to pursue my passion instead of just following the path that had been laid out for me, that was undeniably the most significant professional moment uh, of 2010. Honorable mention is I got signed to a national entertainment agency straight out of undergrad. Uh, I had a mutual connection to Scott Tallarico, who owns Neon Entertainment, uh, a multiple award-winning national entertainment agency that mostly books entertainers in the college market, doing shows on college campuses all over the United States. Uh, for some reason, he decided to take a chance on some young kid with potential. And I, I thought at the time that I was really fantastic. Looking back, I so clearly wasn't. No idea to this day what Scott saw in me, but it's been 10 years. We've done a lot together. Scott, if you're watching this, thank you for believing in me. And uh, here's to the next 10. 2011. Okay, 2011 rolls around. I've only been out of college for six months, and I'm mostly doing local restaurants, kind of going in on every Saturday night to do magic for a couple hours while people wait for their meals. I did that a few different restaurants, uh, um, a few different days a week, and I was I spun off some of those restaurants where I'd meet people and they were having a private party, and I'd go do a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars to do magic at someone's house. Uh, but the biggest uh, moment of 2011, uh, not so much a moment, but the whole year really, was I became the exclusive magician for the comedy club in Foxwoods Resort Casino. So in Connecticut, Foxwoods Resort Casino is one of the two major casinos, but Foxwoods happens to be the largest casino in North 
America. And when I got to put on my resume and all my marketing materials that I was the exclusive magician at Foxwoods, which for what it's worth was not strictly true, the comedy club rented space at the casino. They weren't actually part of the casino. So Foxwoods didn't hire me, the comedy club did, but I was trying to build my career and that distinction seemed really unimportant to me at the time. (laughs) So rightly or wrongly, just magician at Foxwoods was all over my marketing. And it did exactly what I hoped it would do. It gave all the kind of local companies, the local corporations, the local businesses, it gave them the confidence to book a magician they'd never heard of because, well, if he's the magician for Foxwoods, he must be good enough for us. And so I did a show uh, with Jim Spinato, kind of a a legend of entertainment here in New England. He's a comedy magician turned comedy hypnotist. Uh, He and I did a show together called Double Comics Delusion for the better part of 2011. Uh, So I not only got to put Foxwoods kind of on my resume and help build my career that way, but I got to learn from and kind of study under a legend, a veteran of entertainment, which was was incredible. 2012. All right, so 2012 rolls around and something huge happens. I get invited to showcase at NACA Northeast. What in the world does that mean? Well, at that time, I was still predominantly doing shows on college campuses. That's where I was making the, the, the majority of my living, uh, working with Scott and Neon Entertainment. As I, I mentioned earlier, uh, I was bouncing all around the country doing, you know, doing kind of shows in the corners of dining halls and occasionally in a nice theater on a college campus, but mostly in the corner of dining halls uh, to students who were only half paying attention. But uh, it paid really well, and I felt like a rock star flying all over the country. I was like, I'm a national entertainer. Like, this is pretty cool. Now, the entire college campus entertainment market functions on basically one thing, which is NACA, the National Association for Campus Activities. There's other organizations also, but this is the big one. There are There's one national conference every year, and, and then there's a regional conference once a year for each individual region of the U.S., and the lifeblood of a college campus entertainer is getting accepted to showcase, getting invited to showcase at one of these regional conferences or the big national one, where you get like 10 minutes on stage in front of a thousand students and the activities directors who have their checkbooks open, calendars ready, looking to book entertainment for next year. If you do well in your 10-minute showcase, you could book $30,000, dollars $50,000 worth of engagements for the next year. If you didn't do well, you could book zero, and on top of that, you've spent thousands of dollars to get there. And the first couple of NACAs that I did, uh, I booked nothing, and I, it cost me a, a fortune, money I really didn't have to lose at the time. But in 2012, I was invited to showcase at NACA Northeast, conveniently located 20 minutes from where I lived in Connecticut. It was fantastic. No travel costs. I didn't have to do a hotel. And someone who was broke and, you know, seriously, a starving artist at that point, um, that was huge to avoid all those extra costs. And on top of that, I killed the showcase. So I have to ask you, if you had to to name right now your absolute favorite band of all time, what would it be? Right now, quick. The Doors. You're not going to believe this. I got you an official Miley Cyrus poster! And it's signed by me. I signed it. Eric did that. Thank you, Brad Bosberg. I really knocked it out of the park. I got tons of bookings. And not only did it bring money in that was sorely needed at the time, but more than that, 
it gave me confidence, a tremendous amount of self-confidence that I actually was on the right path to something bigger, that I was on the path to success. And I have to tell you, in all the years I've been doing this, because I'm talking about the last 10 years, but I started doing magic professionally five years earlier than that when I was only 16. So I've been, I've been in this for 15 years at this point. My age kind of betrays the uh, years of experience I have in this field because I started so young. I have to tell you, there is really no substitute for confidence. When you develop confidence, when you believe in yourself, you can do almost anything. And so I always encourage aspiring entertainers, anything you have to do to build up your own confidence level, do that. 2013. Ah, 2013. This was a a year that was, was kind of painful as it started, and it really, it was a long, dark tunnel, but with a very bright light all the way at the end of it. Uh, 2013, I did fine. Nothing particularly phenomenal happened that year, and that doesn't sound like anything significant, right? It was kind of like nothing major really happened that year. But what was significant about it for me was that I was on this upward trajectory ever since I graduated college. Things have been going up and up and up. And then I kind of stalled out in the first half of 2013. I, I, didn't, I lost some of the local restaurants. They changed owners. New owners didn't want me. Um, I, I, I wasn't increasing. I wasn't growing my career anymore uh, the way that I, I had hoped to. And, and I really went through a long stretch in the spring of 2013 when I just didn't have enough work. And I was starting to run through my savings again, which were extremely minimal at that time. But I had uh, one major thing happen right in the middle of the year. In May of 2013, Infinity Hall, which is a nationally renowned um, small theater here in Connecticut, invited me to headline on Mother's Day every year. Infinity Hall does two performances, often different. They do a matinee for families and an evening show for, for just for couples, for adults. And I convinced them, oh, it took months to convince them that I could headline this theater. Now, they see like three, two, 300 people uh, backstage at this theater. Every famous person who's ever been has signed the wall. They've, everybody who's famous has played this theater before. It's kind of like really legendary ground. Um, and it's another one of those things, kind of like Foxwoods in Connecticut and New England. Everyone knows Infinity Hall. You're headlining Infinity Hall. You're a, you're a big deal. And uh, behind the scenes, it was a really difficult couple of months uh, leading up to that performance. I, I really wasn't prepared, but I put together a 90-minute show with an intermission and I, I bought a new suit that I didn't have the money for, all these things leading up to it. Uh, a bunch of my friends and family came out to the show. Um, we only sold about 50% of the tickets, so nowhere near good enough for them to ever call me back, which they, which they have not even all these years later. Um, so I, I, it was kind of bittersweet. I got my first taste of doing like a public performance uh, you know, that was really renowned, but at the same time, it wasn't terribly successful. So I got the marketing bonus of having Infinity Hall kind of all over my promo. Um, but internally, it actually hit my confidence instead of um, increasing it because I knew the truth, the reality behind it was that it, it didn't go great uh, in terms of the sales of the tickets or the show. And it kind of dashed my hopes of being like a touring theater 
magician where, where, you know, where the kind of entertainer that can go into um, do 10, 12, 15 different cities across the U.S. and sell out a small theater. That was kind of a bittersweet, significant moment of that year. But personally, it was one of the most significant years of my life because right at the end of the year, in November of 2013, I met Lindsay, who is now my wife. 2014. 2014. We're going to speed through this one really quick because nothing of note happened. <laughs> it's just the year went fine. Uh, it went well. I got I, My bookings picked back up, but there was nothing major or significant. I just kept just kept at it and you know and I, I brought my income up 10 or 20 percent from 2013 uh, by doing more gigs raising my prices a little bit uh, got great reviews uh, but really nothing of note professionally in 2014 not every year is monumental when you look back uh, on your career and, and I think that's really something that that year during that year I didn't feel particularly good or bad about anything. I was just kind of doing my work. And I think it's really important to remind young artists and entrepreneurs, people who are just starting to go into this, especially to do it full-time or professionally, like it's not always amazing. Sometimes it just work. But in 2014, right at the end of the year, in December, personally, another big moment, I proposed and Lindsay said yes. So we got engaged right at the end of 2014, uh, which, of course, was the defining moment of that year. 2015. Which brings us to 2015. And if I had nothing to say about 2014, I've got too much to say about 2015 because that was the year of years, man. 2015. Oh. What a year. That, that is one of the very few years that uh, upon retirement or 30, 40 years from now, I will still remember 2015. Uh, in, I want to say February of 2015, I got a call as I was just about to walk into uh, an event. I was doing a corporate event. And the voice on the other end said, hi, my name is Parag Joshi. I got your name from some colleagues of yours at Summit Studios in Manchester, Connecticut. I'm a local high school teacher putting on a TEDx conference at the high school this year, wondering if you might be interested in speaking at our conference. So Summit Studios is a very hip, very popular performing arts center in, uh, in Connecticut. When I first moved to Connecticut, I had no friends. I didn't know anybody in the area. And when I started teaching magic lessons there as a way to get my name out in the community, which worked, by the way, um, the the instructors and the staff at Summit Studios kind of became my friend group. They became my family here in Connecticut. Uh, in particular, uh, Casey Qualia, who those of you who listen to the podcast will remember as being one of my first guests in season one. Uh, she became like my best friend in the world. She was a bridesmaid in our wedding. And she is the studio coordinator for Summit Studios. And so Parag Joshi, high school English teacher, right there in the same town as Summit Studios in Manchester, Connecticut. And uh, he was taking his daughters to music lessons at the studio. And while he was waiting for them to finish their lesson, he was just chatting with Casey and said, hey, do you know anybody who would be good to speak at my upcoming TEDx conference I'm, uh, I'm running? The theme of the conference is illusion versus reality. She went, Brian Miller. And he called me on that alone. 
So I said, yes, I, of course I will come speak at your conference. I had no idea. I wasn't thinking about doing a TEDx talk. I loved TED Talks and TEDx Talks. I've been watching them since basically YouTube was invented when I was in, uh, in, in college. But I, I wasn't thinking about doing it. I didn't have any idea what I would talk about, what I would do, what I would say. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I was a magician. I was just a magician. I gave it. It's called How to Magically Connect with Anyone. And in the talk, uh, it hit YouTube in, in June of 2015 and it went viral. It had a million views in six months, two million in a year, and three million overall. Now, 3.1, 3.2 million. It's at. It, it, it quickly became, at the time, one of the most popular TEDx talks ever given, and it just exploded my career. I started getting calls to come speak and share my message all over the world from corporations. It took me from a national magician to an international keynote speaker and kind of expert on perspectives and human connection. Like, overnight, it was truly amazing. And there was a lot of other stuff that happened in 2015, but uh, that that really takes the cake. So that, by, by the end of 2015, I was in conversations with many major companies, major organizations uh, that wanted to fly me in both nationally and internationally to speak to their groups. And I started to learn about how to become a speaker as opposed to a magician, which takes us into 2016. 2016. So 2016 really continued on the path of 2015. Those two years kind of melded into each other uh, with the success of the TEDx talk. The, here's two really significant moments from 2016. First, I got a call from Navy Entertainment, which is a kind of a function of the U.S. government, like, arm, uh, like uh, Armed Forces Entertainment and the USO, which is mostly for celebrities. But the idea is these three different organizations, USO, Armed Forces Entertainment, and Navy Entertainment, they send U.S.-based entertainers overseas all over the world to military bases to, uh, to entertain and occasionally to speak to uh, the troops and families, you know, doing that incredible work all over the world. Uh, Navy Entertainment was interested in having me in uh, April go to Europe to Spain, Italy, and Greece to do a, a magic show on each of a couple of different uh, bases for uh, the month of the military child, which is April every year. So it's really kind of kid-friendly shows. I'm not a kid's magician, but but of course I want to go do anything I can for the troops. I was just completely flabbergasted to be called. Go ahead, take it. I'm just sick of saying pick a card. Here, show everybody. Don't show me. Make sure everybody's here. Everybody knows what it is? Yeah. You have a video, that's not fair. Yeah. Okay, here you go, Lamar, please back me. And pause, right there, pause. Everybody take a mental photograph of this image. Okay, put it back. Ca cameras don't even make that sound anymore. I can feel somebody looking at me like, how old is he? I'm gonna go through the cards. I'm gonna mix them up face up into face down. Now, if somebody did this to your cards at home, you would be very upset because some of the cards are going face up and the face down though. They're going face down and the face up. They're going back to back. They're going front to front. They're going every which way. Now, Lamar, that was not your card, was it? No. I want you to put out your thumb and first finger for me like this. I want you to hold on to that 10 of clubs gently and just kind of wave it over the path. Pause. You know what you just did? We went back in time. We did. Look, we went back. We went back. We went back to when all look, 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 look. all the cards are still facing the same way. We, we went so far back in time, Lamar. We went back to the beginning of the trick. Remember this? Yes. You did not even put your card in the deck yet. Turn it over. Oh. 
And I, I you know, I, I, I think the, the TEDx talk had a lot to do with it, not directly, but um, one of my agents was in communication with the woman in charge of Navy Entertainment. And I think being able to show her the success of this TEDx talk made me really seem like, you know, a, a big deal uh, for them. So, uh, so kind of indirectly, it, it really led to that. And so I, in, uh, in April of 2016, I got to go overseas and I went to Spain and Italy. Greece was originally on the tour, but just a couple of weeks before I went uh, was the, uh, the horrendous, uh, the bombing at the Brussels airport. And so Greece was, I think, the nearest U.S. Navy base to that Brussels attack. So they went on high alert. But that was in April. Back up just one month earlier, Lindsay and I got married. We got engaged at the end of 2014. We did like a 15-month engagement. It was like just the right length of time to, uh, to plan the wedding without going, having it so long that you go crazy. And so in, in, in uh, March of 2016, we got married. And that call came on our honeymoon. The call from my agent came on our honeymoon, which I have to tell you was pretty funny, but very stressful because I had, I had not taken a vacation since college. Not one, not ever. I had not blocked a single date off my calendar. So my agents, my management, they were able to just book me for anything on any day that was open. (laughs) But I took a week off for my honeymoon, first vacation since college. And I told my agency under no circumstances is anybody to bother me on my honeymoon. No calls, no emails, no nothing. You can handle it without me for a week. (laughs) Lindsay and I are in the magic kingdom on maybe our second day of our honeymoon in, uh, in Walt Disney World. And we're sitting having lunch and the phone rings and it's my agency. And she goes, you gotta be kidding me. And I said, I, I gotta answer this. <laughs> I'm feeling my new wife just like, uh-huh, you do that. <laughs> and so I, I answered it like, what? <laughs> my poor agent, Danny, um, God bless Danny. You guys have been following the vlog for a long time. You know him very well. Uh, Danny's become one of my uh, one of my really good friends. Uh, in addition to being one of my um, one of my agents, and Danny goes, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He goes, but I'm in the room with the head of Navy Entertainment, and they're wondering if you uh, are willing to go over to Europe to do some magic shows for the troops and their families on military bases. And on like one phone call in the span of five minutes, we kind of just made it happen. And I hung up and I was like, well, so good news, bad news. Uh, (laughs) I got to tell Lindsay that a month from now, uh, your new husband is going to go gallivanting all over the world um, uh, on uh, military bases, which also sounded very scary. And, and, you know, it it isn't. Um, It's the most safe I've felt anywhere in the world is when I'm doing the shows for, for the military. Because, I mean, you, you really feel unbelievably safe on a military base, as you might imagine. But it sounds scary to be going to a military base. So, so that, uh, that whole thing kind of came together on our honeymoon. And a month later, I was in Europe uh, doing the, uh, the first of three tours I would end up doing with Navy Entertainment, which has been one of the great, uh, great honors and great blessings of my, uh, my career to be able to have that ongoing relationship 
So personally, got married. Then I did the first tour with Navy Entertainment, did a second one with them in the fall, just uh, like you know, four months later. Uh, went to Bahrain in the Middle East and Djibouti, Africa. That was actually scary. That is a proper war zone. Uh, that's a longer story for a different time. So 2016 was a big year. And in addition to all of that, it's also the first international keynoting that I did as a speaker, starting to get paid as a, kind of at the time, it was really a motivational speaker, um, where over the last few years, it's morphed into really being kind of an expert on human connection. Um, still inspirational in nature, what I do now, but a, little, a lot more tactical than it was at the time. It was quite a year. So 2015 to 2016 was the pivotal moment where I shifted from having spent 10 years doing magic right, from kind of high school through college, and then five years after that full-time without being a student, it's kind of 10 years of being a magician, uh, I started the shift from 2015 to 2016 to the career that I now enjoy and will probably be on for the rest of my life, as I, I, I can imagine. 2017. All right, I'll make 2017 very brief. There were no particularly huge moments. Again, this is kind of a year like uh, like 2014 was for me. Um, everything was going really well. Like everything was going really well, uh, but nothing particularly huge apart from my third tour with Navy Entertainment, which was a massive tour, the longest tour I've ever really done like that. It was three full weeks across Asia. 2018. Which brings us to 2018, and uh, this is going to be real easy. 2018, three new people came out. That's right. I wrote my first book. I mean, I started writing it within months of giving the TEDx talk. Everyone said, you have to write a book, and it took me three years from starting to write it to actually getting it released. It was released in November of 2018, so almost all of 2018 was dedicated to finishing the book. It was a very difficult, very stressful year. I was turning down engagements as a magician, left and right, turning down. I turned down tens of thousands of dollars worth of potential work, just said no, to carve out room in my calendar to just finish the book. It just seemed like finishing the book was an investment in the future of my career as a speaker, a thought leader, a consultant, all this stuff that I do. I needed to finish the book. And sometimes you have to make really deep, heavy sacrifices. And for me, I sacrificed a tremendous amount of income in exchange for the long-term gains of having my philosophy of human connection in a physical form that I could drop on someone's desk and it would make a thud. The book was endorsed by a handful of really, really... Um, amazing people, one of which is my like my personal hero, Seth Godin, the legend of business, the father of modern marketing. I'm a total Seth junkie. And in 2018, not only did, well, I, I've told this story on, on, on the vlog before, but I, I bumped into Seth at an airport just by chance, met him in person. I'd had email communication with him over the years and been following his work for ages. I was completely obsessed and I got to meet him for a minute by chance in an airport. He subsequently took an interest in my work. I'm gonna echo something Seth himself has said before. Endorsements don't, don't sell books. Uh, putting an endorsement on the back of your book, nobody really buys it for that reason alone. Uh, I mean, I check the endorsements, I have curiosity, but endorsements don't sell books. But what endorsements do is they give the author confidence. And this goes back to my earlier conversation in 2012 when I killed at that NACA showcase for the first time. 
the confidence that, that, that I got when Seth said some very nice things and gave me permission to put his name and his words on the back of my book forever, the fact that someone I look up to so much that I am just in awe of how prolific he has been and his career was willing to take time out of his life to read my book and say something nice about it and give me permission to put that on the back, to put his name, to put his stamp of approval on my work. Knowing that someone like Seth, let alone him specifically, has invested that kind of time in me, it makes me walk through the world differently. It made me stand up a little bit straighter. It made me speak about my work and about my book with more confidence. And that is invaluable. So I, I hope someday I'm in a position where my name carries enough clout that I can do that for somebody else who's coming up writing their first book or, or, or doing whatever art that they do. 2019. And that brings us to 2019. 2019, this year was the year of the podcast. Uh, the book came out just over a year ago in, late, in, uh, in November of 2018. And uh, two months later in January of 2019, I launched my podcast, One New Person, as a kind of a tonal companion to the book, even if you haven't read the book. And uh, I, I just wrapped up season two of the podcast. It's been an unbelievable journey. I hate that word journey. It's so cliched in, in, in uh, everywhere. Two seasons of the podcast has been really incredible. I get to have these long form, hour long or 90 minute long conversations with just legends and leaders of industries, many heroes of mine and people I really admire. I get to, you know, people that you couldn't otherwise get five minutes of their time will spend an hour talking to you in depth about their work and their art and their success and their failures. And it's if you haven't seen or listened to the episode with Seth, he was the first guest of season two of the podcast. He did me a great honor. This season's been unbelievable. I'll put a handful of my personal favorite episodes in the description from, uh, from, the, from this season of the podcast. Which brings me here to the end of the decade. When I started off this decade in 2010, I was still a student part-time magician, aspiring to be a professional who made a huge decision to go after his passion instead of pursuing the path that had always been laid out for him. And 10 years later, I'm closing out the decade where I just got back from Australia, having given the keynote address, one of the keynote addresses for this massive, really important conference where with 30 sessions over three days and world-class speakers, the attendees rated my session the highest of the entire conference. Very rarely are the defining moments, the big, huge things, like the TEDx talk going viral. That happened once in the last 10 years. Everything else that I talked about was just big wins relative to where I was at that time and that age and what I was up to in my life and my career. As Jim Carrey once quipped, it took me 10 years to become an overnight success, right? 
That is exactly how I feel about this. Yes, the TEDx talk went viral and it gave me a big boost, but it didn't do it for me. If I didn't have a career built by that point, if I didn't have a reputation and an act and a, and, and, and a way about me by the time of the TEDx talk went viral, the virality would have only lasted 15 minutes. But instead, when people discovered me from that TEDx talk and then they looked me up on Google, they found a, a huge depth of good work and great reviews and, and, and a lot of experience. And so they were willing to take a chance on me having found me from that viral. If, if I had gone viral a year earlier even, very little might have come of it. And as I look back on it, I'll leave you with this. I've focused mostly on the professional accomplishments in this particular video. But none of those would have been possible without having my personal life in check. The years where I really struggled with my personal life are the years where I mostly also struggled with my business. And that's only been clear looking backwards. It was really, you couldn't, you don't notice that at the time. But when you're not in a good place in your personal life, when you're not in good health, when you don't have positive relationships, um, whether it's friends, family, or significant others, it's really hard to be in a good place with your work. Because as Seth said on the podcast with me earlier this year, you know, balance is a tricky thing. Well, I'll let him tell you. There's just time. There's just where you are and what you do. So it doesn't make sense for me to have to do something that feels like uh, a sacrifice. I try to do things that are part of the big thing. You get to pick what your big thing is gonna be. So, you know, the people who complain about work-life balance, well, one of the reasons they say that is because work sucks the life out of them and it's a grind, but they do it because they need the money to live the lifestyle. Well, maybe they should change their lifestyle so they could have work that makes them feel alive because then they wouldn't need to worry about work-life balance because they would just have life. There's just where we are and what we do. So as you head into 2020, at the start of the next decade in your life, consider really deeply where are you and what are you doing with your time? Thanks so much for sticking with me. My name is Brian Miller and always remember that our world is a shared experience. I'll see you in the new decade.